0: If you could turn to Matthew chapter 18, hope you can. Matthew chapter 18, in light of um, some things that have been coming up lately, I thought it was appropriate for us to look at Scripture together. Um, Don't we want to know how God wants things to be done? Because that's what He knows is best for all of us, right? Um, And it's good for us to be refreshed, because doubtless, if we've been going to church for a number of years, we've heard this stuff before, Uh, but it's helpful for us to be reminded, especially when there are some fresh situations on our mind that can help us um, really apply these things and see them in light of um, experience, but then applying God's specific direction to our experiences, and rather than... Vice versa. Um, It's never a good habit to be applying our experiences to scripture as though they were what what helped us define and determine the meaning of scripture. Rather, we apply scripture to our lives so that we know how we might walk. Matthew chapter 18, starting in verse 15, says, Moreover, if your brother sins against you, let's stop there for a second. Okay, what's the situation here? What's a a hypothetical situation? Just in general. Moreover, if your brother sins against you. The King James has trespassed, so it felt like it was an offense. Yeah, an offense that is due to Sin. sin, right? So we're not talking about matters of opinion. We're not talking about well, they do. You know, they. I don't like the way they dress, because they don't wear the right. They don't tuck their shirt in. They don't wear the appropriate colors. Or, you know, pastor doesn't wear a tie to a church. Or, you know, those aren't things we're talking about. We're talking about sin. If a, if a brother sins against you, or as your translation might say, trespass, um, going somewhere where you should not go in a way. <laughs> That's kind of how we apply the word trespass. Going somewhere where you don't belong. According to God's law. Doing the things that you should not be doing according to God's law. And we're talking about, going and we're talking about brothers. If your brother does this to you. Um, which is, I'm glad you pointed that out. Because are we supposed to worry first and foremost about whatever, what all the unbelievers are doing? First, Our first priority is each other. We are the household of God. We are the ones who have the word. And who, at least according to our membership agreement, you know, not, but more importantly, according to scripture, if we are a Christian, we are claiming to be a disciple of Jesus Christ. We are claiming to follow him. So we, above all people, should be following what he has said unbelievers, it's far more understandable that they would not be doing what the Bible says because they don't even believe the Bible. Good morning. (laughs) So our first priority, the the greatest offense is when those who claim to be the followers of Jesus Christ are not following Jesus Christ. It's reasonable for people who do not claim to follow Jesus Christ to not be following Jesus Christ. Paul even says, what do I have to do with outsiders? (laughs) The judgment of God is upon the household of God. So that's where we should drive our attention. We shouldn't be making a habit of rebuking outsiders as much as rebuking the sin that is within the household of God. So moreover, if your brother sins against you, there's an actual sin there, not just a difference of opinion. Go and tell him his fault between you and him alone. Now, can a matter of opinion cause sin? Is the ch- is the difference in opinion necessarily a sin? No. Having a difference in opinion, having a different preference, those things are not sins. But if that causes an unhealthy hostility, or division, or constant anger, or bitterness, those things can happen. Now is that because because the other person offended you, sinfully? Or is that because you are taking offense to something that's not even sinful? If that's the situation, then you've got a heart problem. If you're taking offense, if you're becoming bitter, angry, and resentful towards somebody for something that's not even a sin, then that's your heart problem that you need to deal with between you and God. That is not something that you need to confront the other person with. That is something. Maybe it is. Maybe the nature of it is you need to talk this out so that you can come to an agreement on something. But, first and foremost, if there's bitterness coming up within your heart with something that's not even sinful, then that is your heart problem that you and God need to deal with. Not you and the other person necessarily. But let's keep going on. Moreover, if your brother sins against you, go and tell him his fault between you and him alone. So what's this first step here? How is, how is this relationship around this sinful, sin-centered offense starting? What's the first step that the offended party is supposed to take? Yeah, secret confrontation, right? Privacy. Private confrontation with the offender. Now, shouldn't it make sense? Wouldn't it make sense for the offender, the sinner, to initiate repentance? Why doesn't he say the sinner should go and repent? Why shouldn't that be the first step? Sometimes they're not even aware. Yeah. See. Blind. Sometimes they're blind to their need to repent. Sometimes, well, the very nature of the fact that they're the one who have sinned against you, they had the will to sin against you, perhaps they have no will to repent, to initiate that. Certainly, it is preferable for somebody to, okay, when somebody sins, I'm under the conviction of the Holy Spirit, I'm going to go and repent. That's also (laughs) desirable. But if that's not the case, this person who has been offended, who has been a sinned against. It's his responsibility or her responsibility to go and talk to the person and say, you know what, you did such and such. And that's, you know, in this scripture passage, that's a sin. And I just want to pre- confront you with this, you know, because it says in, let me see if I can find it real quick. Is it James or First John. James chapter 5 verse 19, it says, Brethren, if anyone among you wanders from the truth and someone turns him back, let him know that he who turns a sinner from the error of his way will save a soul from death and cover a multitude of sins. That's the loving thing to do. See, this is not just about righting wrongs. It's about loving your neighbor. Because in confronting this sinner of their sin, you could be saving him from death, saving his soul from death by bringing to light this sin that they've committed. Because... When you confront somebody with sin, there's two things that might happen. One, the person might be like, you know what, you're right, I'm sorry, I, I repent before God, I repent before you, forgive me. And there's a reconciliation that happens, but what's the other alternative? What else could happen? They get defensive. They get defensive. What? Attack. They attack back. They refuse to see that what they've done was a sin. Even though you show them from scripture, this is a clear sin. Is that representative of a true Christian? Somebody who will not repent of their sin? No, it's not representative of a real Christian. If you are confronting somebody because of clear, undeniable sin, again, not about difference of opinion. You're allowed to have differences of opinion. You don't need other people to agree with you. And other people don't need you to agree with them. Real, undeniable sin, straying from God's ways, and you confront this person and they don't want to hear it, then that's a sign that perhaps that person's not even a Christian. Because a Christian is somebody who follows God. Follows the way of Christ. Well, let's keep moving on because we have a lot to look at. And he says, go, go, bet- go tell him his fault between you and him alone. Alone. This is not supposed to be a public matter. We're not supposed to be... Dragging them through the mud, bringing all sorts of people into this so that their image is tainted by all these different people unnecessarily. If that person is going to repent just with your personal conversation, then glory be to God. This person's offense didn't go any further than it needed to go. If he hears you, you have gained your brother. What do you think? That, what's the picture there? You have gained your brother. That's kind of a weird phrase but what's, well, what's the image that he's trying to show? Your yeah, your relationship is restored. Yeah. If he's sent against you, if there's an offense that's come between you and your brother or your sister in Christ, well, then there's, there's a tear there. There's no fellowship there. Because there's a fence there instead. And we need to understand this because as a church body, a fence has no, has no right to be here. The, the veil has been torn between us and Jesus us and God by the blood of Jesus Christ the nature of our existence as a church is unity is intimacy and offense makes that impossible that's why the bible says in the proverbs don't let the sun go down upon your wrath why do you think it says that
1: it also says it in Ephesians
0: in Ephesians too right he you know, Paul actually quotes the Proverbs quite a bit on several different occasions. So why would that be something that was so important for Paul to even mention in Ephesians? Because we need... Go ahead. We're
1: well, supposed to keep current. That's one of the rules mm-hmm. of communication.
0: Yeah, keep current. And it's a rule of Scripture. We need to be current with each other. We need to keep the relationship clean and beautiful. And righteous, and that cannot happen when there is a fence between you and somebody else. Verse sixteen. But if he will not hear, okay, you come between, you come to him. Because sometimes that person just doesn't find you and your argumentation to be authoritative. You know what? I see what you're saying, but I don't agree. I don't think that's a real sin. Sorry. For the sake of them, then we need to take it up a notch. For their sake, not for your sake. Not because you're having a pity party and you need somebody to be on your side, okay? Isn't that what happens a lot? We tattletale because we need somebody to be on our side. We start gossiping. We start slandering. We tell everybody else how horrible this person is and how they offended me and they hurt, they hurt me because we need somebody to, to validate my position. We need, we need to feel validated. We need people to be on, in my corner. So we isolate them through slander From the rest of the body. But that's not why we take it up a notch. And start talking to another person. Bringing another person in. To this situation. It's not for your sake. It's not for your protection. It's not for your um, self image. It's for their sake. It's because you love them. And you want to gain a brother back. Or a sister. You want to potentially save a soul from death. Because this person is in sin. He's, if he will not hear, take with you one or two more, that by the mouth of two or three witnesses, every word may be established. He's quoting the Old Testament here. Um, and Deuteron- look at. Let's look at a couple of Old Testament passages here. Look at Deuteronomy chapter 19. Deuteronomy chapter 19. Now, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy presents the way in which the people were to walk. And I've mentioned it before. From these five books, the entire rest of the scriptures kind of grows out as a tree. Deuteronomy chapter 19, starting in verse 15. He says, the law of God says, one witness shall not rise against a man. Concerning any iniquity or any sin that he commits, by the mouth of two or three witnesses, the matter shall be established. If a false witness arises against any man to testify against him of wrongdoing, then both men in the controversy shall stand before the Lord, before the priests, and the judges who serve in those days. And the judges shall make careful inquiry. And indeed, if the witness is a false witness who has testified falsely against his brother, then you shall do to him as he thought to have done to his brother." So you shall put away the evil from among you. And those who remain shall hear and fear, and hereafter they shall not again commit such evil among you. Your eyes shall not pity. Life shall be for life, eye for eye, tooth for tooth, hand for hand, foot for foot. And here we see a number of things that we're going to just touch on a couple, different, a couple of things here. But the first thing that's mentioned in this passage is two or three witnesses. We're not just, if you're going to take somebody, in this situation it's talking about taking somebody to judgment Somebody committed some trespass against you, and now you want to settle things and make things right. Because the person isn't going to make it right. So you're taking them to the judge. Because you it's not just it can't just be he said, she said. Two or three witnesses, witnesses, people who know that what you're saying is true, people who know that this person has made this offense. The offense offense is clear to these witnesses, and they can justly testify to their trespass. Not somebody who just kind of understands why you feel hurt because they believe your story, but somebody who actually sees the wrongdoing. Somebody who actually knows for certain that this person is in the wrong. Not just a friend who's there to kind of encourage your side of things. So, then he goes on to say, if there's a false witness, a false witness either being a liar or somebody just not not fitting, the, fitting what I just said, like they're just kind of making up stuff because they really love their friend and they want to see their friend compensated, so they're just kind of going along with what the accuser said, even though he might be wrong. A false witness is somebody who is not acting with justice, true uh, objective justice in mind. And he says that if there's a false witness who has testified falsely against his brother, you shall do to him as you have thought to have done to his brother. Then at the end, he says, you shall not pity. You know What he says there is, you're not, you're not giving preferential treatment to people. Just because the accuser was wealthy and they were accusing a homeless man doesn't give him any more right to be right. Doesn't sway the judgment in any way. Your eyes shall not pity. Whoever it is, life shall be for life, eye for eye, tooth for tooth, hand for hand, foot for foot. Now this condemnation is in the sense that if you poked out your neighbor's eye, then you get your eye poked out in a sense. If you, and it also covers, if you are a false witness trying to get this person judged and punished, you get the condemnation that would have been upon the person that you were testifying falsely against. So, if the judgment was, well, their eye got poked out, their eye would have been poked out. Well, since you judged, justified falsely, your eye gets put out because you stood up in false judgment. So, the judgment is upon sin, the judgment is upon falseness, falsehood. Anything in this, uh, this idea of false witness also contributes to this conversation we're having about unity within the body of Christ, with unity within the people of God. False judgment was not supposed to exist within the people of God. People were supposed to love one another. They were supposed to love God. They were supposed to seek His ways, to seek the truth, not preferential treatment. They were not to, to treat their friend in such a way that it hurts somebody else in a false manner. Because that's not justice. What does the Lord require of thee? What? Humbly. humbly. Justly. Justly. Yeah. And what? Isn't love, mercy? love mercy. Yeah. Walk humbly. Walk humbly. Yeah. I know I'm trying to think the exact phraseology too, but justice is in there. <laughs> mercy, justice, and humility. Those three elements are in that. What, what does God want from his people? Mercy, justice, and humility. Justice is in those top three things that God wants from his people. shows you Right. You know, where it can get, the sooner you can get to it the better: Right. Yep. And the longer it goes, the more it becomes hearsay, so it's harder to, to deal with. But the longer it goes, the more it causes bitterness and division. And the more you think about the offense, the more that picture of offense becomes the image of that person that offended you. So then you start treating them as just an offender rather than a brother. To
2: me, it shows God's love for us. We God. God loved us. Even yeah. know we were sinners. Mm-hmm. God, and so how much do we love one another?
0: Yeah. And, that, and throughout scripture, his love is the, um, what's the, what's, the, there's an illustration. I can't remember. But it's, it's what we're supposed to look to to see how we're supposed to treat each other. We're supposed to love one another even if they're offending us. And that's why we're supposed to go to them. Not because we love ourselves, but because we love them. <laughs> you know, that's, that's our motivation behind all that we do, Judy. And just like that kid the, the kid thing, sometimes a church has to tell itself, stop hitting yourself, stop hitting yourself, stop hitting yourself. <laughs> <laughs> because, <laughs> I mean, just think about it. A kid is sitting there in, in school or something, he's just slapping himself. I think, what's wrong with that kid? <laughs> you know? But what's wrong with us? We keep slapping ourselves. Stop hitting yourself. Well, I was just going to
3: say, when you pointed out that verse that quote, <laughs> Yeah. Yeah. that's always offending and hurting yeah. and sinning it's like yet God knows that we're just yeah. without him completely Yeah. you know like we're not fully sanctified and so we are going to be We everybody's going to mess up my dad always says don't you know people are always going to fail you mm-hmm. because nobody's perfect
0: and so it's just like we need to be humble and have mercy right right and uh Don't take this too far because this is not justification for our behavior, but in a way it's glorifying to God when offense happens because then we get to be like God in reconciling with a sinner. That's how we can be the most like God in forgiving and reconciling with a sinner. And that can only happen when there's offense. Doesn't
2: it say let judgment start at the house of God? Yeah,
0: it does. And I, and I just want to. That's a
2: lot of judgment. Right. That you have to sit and look at yourself.
0: Right. And many of us have been in each other's lives for years, decades. You have sinned against somebody else in this room. Every single one of you has sinned against somebody else in this room, except maybe you, <laughs> Beverly. <laughs> <laughs> We're so glad to have you today. <laughs> <laughs> And I just want to ask the question, we know that if, okay, so here's a, here's a qualifier, if a church is operating as intimately and in, as the Bible prescribes, when we are in each other's lives in a love, love relationship, like we should be, you will offend each other, you will sin against each other at some point, it's just going to happen, that's how we are especially if we've been here for decades. It's happened. Now, since that's just human nature, that's just how things work when people are intimate. I mean, I love my wife more than anyone else in the world, but I sin against her more than anyone else in the world (laughs) just because of the nature of an intimate relationship. And if we are being intimate with each other the way the Bible says a church should be, we will sin against each other. Now, with that in mind... When was the last time you apologized to somebody and re- reconciled with somebody? You know you've offended people. You know you've sinned against people. You know you've gossiped about people. You know you've slandered people. You know you've done something sinful against somebody else. When was the last time you reconciled? Have you ever reconciled? Then we're not following the scriptures because we're supposed to reconcile. That is God more God honoring. You know, don't take this the wrong way. But it could be more God honoring than not having committed the offense altogether. Could be. Why? Because in reconciliation and forgiveness, we are more like Christ than anywhere else in our life. Because forgiveness and reconciliation are at the core of our relationship with God. Look at Leviticus chapter 19. Funny. We looked at Deuteronomy nineteen fifteen. Now we're looking at Leviticus nineteen fifteen. He says, "You shall do no injustice in judgment. You shall not be partial to the poor, nor honor the person of the mighty. In righteousness you shall judge your neighbor. You shall not go about as a talebearer among your people, nor shall you take a stand against the life of your neighbor. I am the Lord." For the sake of time, we're just going to deal with one word here. You shall not be a talebearer. What is that? Say what? Carry news from one place to the other? Yeah. How many of you have been a tailbearer in the past? I raise my hand. <laughs> <laughs> you know? How many times have we spread news that was not ours to spread about somebody? Ha- I mean, unfortunately it happens. But we're not supposed to be tail bearers. We're not supposed to spread news that's not our news to spread. Especially if it's concerning... Something negative about somebody. So-and-so is, gets on my nerves. Can you imagine? They did this. They did that. Can you believe what they did? How many times have we had conversations like that? I just can't stand that person. They did this. Can you believe that they did that? They said this. Can you believe that they said that? You shall not go as a tailbearer among your people, nor shall you take a stand against the life of your neighbor. He's using those two ideas... Um, synonymously in a sense. To tailbear is is similar to taking a stand against the life of your neighbor. Instead of killing their flesh, you're killing their reputation. Instead of killing their flesh, you're killing their image. So that when you tailbear about somebody, when you're a tailbearer, that person no longer has any testimony because it's dead because you killed it. Because you did not properly Take care of the reconciliation process. But let's keep moving on. Verse 17. You shall not hate your brother in your heart. You shall surely rebuke your neighbor and not bear sin because of him. Now when it says, now does somebody else's, my, my version says you shall surely rebuke your neighbor. Does somebody else else's version say something different? Your neighbor, uh, rebuke your neighbor directly. Rebuke your neighbor directly. Is that what it says, Jackie? No. What's your say? And what's the, what's the phrase after that? Thou shalt, in any way, in, thou shalt in any wise rebuke thy neighbor and not set upon Okay. Now, in the Hebrew, these, these terms, when they go together, they they the words surely rebuke mean you need to reason frankly with your neighbor. You need to bring the offense to their attention without sugarcoating it. You can kind of see it a little bit in this translation when it says you shall surely Rebuke. You shall rebuke with surety. That's what it's talking about. You shall come to them with boldness, not with pride, not with arrogance, not shoving it in their face. But you need to be frank. You need to have some certainty because what you're saying is not just a matter of opinion. But it's real sin that's keeping this person between them and you and them and God. And you need to reason frankly with them for their sake. That's why we need to be frank. And thats I'll be honest with you. I have a hard time being frank with people on serious subjects like sin. Because I don't want to hurt, hurt I, it's just the way I am. I don't want to hurt people's feelings. And that's something that I have spent years working through. Because it's hard for me. But I have to look at this scripture and say, I need to be frank. I, need, I can't sugarcoat things. I can't beat around the bush. Because that's not good for them and it's not good for our relationship. For things to kind of go missing or go go unsettled simply because we didn't want to hurt each other's feelings, but that thing that that little piece of leaven festers. It'll keep growing. It'll keep creating bitterness as long as it's not dealt with. That's why we need to be frank with each other. We need to be upfront and honest with each other about actual sin. Um, verse eighteen: You shall not take vengeance nor bear any grudge against the children of your people, but you shall love your neighbor as yourself. You see that you're not supposed to take vengeance. You're not supposed to seek revenge. But what's that other thing? What's the thing that came next? Grudge. You shall not take a, hold a grudge. <laughs> it's biblical. You're not allowed to hold grudges in the, in the body of God, in the God's people. As God's person, in the body of Christ, it is unlawful to hold a grudge. How can we prevent this grudge from building this animosity? How do we prevent that? Asking God for help. I'm sorry. Saying you're sorry. Reasoning frankly with your neighbor who offended you. Trying to reckon, because where do grudges come from? Unresolved animosity, unresolved offense. That's really where grudges come from. Yeah, pride, pride right. Well, I was right. Yeah, I was right, they were wrong. Kristen?
3: hmm Through the bo Bi- through the Bible, like, Yeah. The Bible studies together or yeah. praying together or those yeah. past just the social stuff, but that could
0: be a good big you know, break into it. And what does the Bible say you should do for your neighbor or for do for your enemy? Yeah. Love your enemy? Pray for them. Pray for them. We're supposed to seek the good of even our enemy. Now look at Romans chapter fourteen. We have to keep. Go- oh, Doug, sorry, I didn't see you. So
1: we have, uh, backing back.
0: <coughs> yes. We over oh yeah. People well. There, yeah. Uh, is, you're out of time. It's so, yes. And I was going to get back there, but what was you? What did you want to point out?
1: You know, it says if, in my Bible, if he listens. Mm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, a if he hears you. Mhm.
0: Mhm. You're right.
1: And so I think that that's important to discuss because that also applies into our rules of
0: communication. Mhm. So what what is the difference between listening and hearing? Wait, what verse are we this is back in Matthew chapter 18, verse um, 15 and 16. Yeah. And 17. 17. Right. Moreover, if your brother sins against you, go and tell him his fault between you and him alone. If he hears you, you've gained your brother. But if he will not hear, take with you one or two more. That by the mouth of two or three witnesses, every word shall be established. Okay, and then we're in verse 17. Let's just keep moving. This is the last couple of verses that I want to look at here. And if he refuses to hear them, okay, so he's no longer hearing the two or three witnesses, plus the offended party, tell it to the church. Okay. So, what's the difference between listening and hearing? Listening is a,
2: a, a level of acceptance that you're open to what that person has to say, hearing and absorbing it.
0: Hearing you just like hear that can just bounce off. Yeah, and I and I think that in the in the passage here. You know, some people's translations might say, "Listen, I don't know. I don't know what other translations say about this." But I think what he's getting at here in this passage is that, that when a person hears what is being said, they are doing what they should be doing in absorbing it, okay. taking it upon themselves, and actually taking some respon taking responsibility for their sin. Does that make sense? Mm-hmm. Listening, you can just sit there, like you know. Is it? That's that's okay. That's okay. <laughs> That's okay. Now how many of us? And we've all had conversations with people where you know they're not actually caring about what you're talking about. They're just ready to say what they want to say. Even if it's not a confrontational situation. Even if you're just kind of sitting down, talking about the weather, talking about sports. And you're talking and you can just see in their eyes that they're just going over what they want to say. That's not a relationship. That's not good communication. That's, That's not brotherhood. Brotherhood is based off of both of you loving each other, listening, (coughs) excuse me, being swift to hear, slow to speak. You can wait until they're done talking to then start talking. You don't have to constantly be on the defense. And you know what? And honestly, I'll I'll be honest with you, because sometimes we breed defensive people. Because all, all, all we ever talk about is our opinions, however... I'm right, everybody else is wrong. So we're always trying to defend ourselves because, no, I'm right and you're wrong. We can breed that. We can breed poor communication. More importantly, we can breed a lack of brotherhood and sisterhood because we're always on the defense because somebody's always on the attack for stuff that is not even sinful. We have to be careful, Okay. I really wanted to get to Romans 14, but we won't have time to do that today. But I just want us to recognize here what the Bible says. If he refuses to hear them, tell it to the church. Okay, so now we're bringing it to the whole church because he's already ignored the first person. He wasn't listening to the, the next three or four. Now, we take it to the church. It becomes a church matter because, I mean, the Bible says, Jesus says, purge the leaven because the leaven will leaven the whole lump. If this person's lack of repentance over something that's clear, clearly sin, if it stays, then it's going to affect everybody. At the beginning, it only affected one person. But now it's clear that this person is leaven. And now that person is going to start affecting the whole lump because of their lack of repentance. Because of their lack of reconciliation. So now it's a whole church matter. But until it becomes dangerous for the whole church, it doesn't become a whole church matter. But at this point, it does. He refuses to hear them tell it to the church. But if he refuses even to hear the church, the church is come on, man, come on. You know, you know what the Bible says. You know what you did is wrong. It's clear. Nope, not gonna hear it. Y'all are just picking on me. You're all just a bunch of hypocrites. Everybody sins. Leave me alone. Everybody wants the good of this person because they want fellowship to be restored. But he refuses it. But if he refuses even to hear the church, let him be to you like a heathen and a tax collector. What do you think he means by heathen? Treat him like a heathen and ta- let him be to you like a heathen and a tax collector. What do you think that means? How, does some, how are we supposed to treat heathens and tax collectors? Love them. But they're not a brother. They're not like-minded. They're not supposed to be treated like a Christian. Because they're not a Christian, unrepentance is a sure sign that you're not a Christian. So we're supposed to treat them like they're not a Christian, a heathen, and a tax collector. In their day, I mean, this was a person who is technically who was like the epitome of the outsider. Somebody who is not a Jew, indeed. They may have claimed it; maybe they were born of the seed of Abraham. but they, they didn't have any inheritance with God's people. Are we supposed to treat them with bitterness and anger and strife and hatred? No. We're supposed to treat them like an unbeliever. And What are we supposed to do with unbelievers? Love them. What? Pray for them. Try to preach the gospel to them. Try to get them. To become a believer. (laughs) Okay? Not like a brother. We don't treat him like a brother anymore. Or a sister. My plea to you guys, in the light of some things that have been going on, there's things that have been going on that have shown that there are some underlying issues. Okay? But only because things have been going on. Only because something came up. Does something have to come up in order for you to reconcile with somebody who you have, maybe there's a grudge. That you're not supposed to have. Well the grudge is there because there's some unresolved conflict. You need to deal with that. If you have a grudge against somebody. That's unlawful. That's a sin to have a grudge against somebody. But it can be resolved. If we go to our neighbor. If we go to our brother or sister. Try to resolve it. But get over yourself. Okay. Who cares about your opinion? We're talking about sin. Get over yourself. Stop obsessing about opinions. Obsess about the word of God. And if there's something in the word of God that is keeping you away from your brother or sister, resolve it. So that something doesn't have to blow up and ruin our testimony in this culture, in this community. Snuffing out our light. Resolve it so we can be a body that operates properly. And we know there's something to resolve when we feel the grudge. So if you feel the grudge, <laughs> resolve it. But if, it's not, have it, if, it, if the grudge isn't there because of sin, then you resolve it between you and God because it's your problem, not theirs. Let's pray. Thank you, Lord, for this time in your word. Thank you for giving us direction because you love us. You want us to represent the the intimate unity that you have as the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. Let us glorify you in representing you in everything that we do, say, and are with each other as your body, even in this small assembly. Forgive us for how we have gone astray and make us more like you. In Jesus' name, amen.